Good morning, VEV. This is Kate, and I'm excited to be sharing with you this morning as we continue our sermon series, Embodiment, the Good News Through the Eyes of John the Beloved. Um, we've been doing an up-close and personal view of the life of Jesus through the eyes of John. And today I'm going to be continuing with a passage that Joanna began last week, which is from John chapter 4, um, the story of the Samaritan woman at the well. And if you haven't listened to Joanna's sermon, I would really encourage you to do that. She had some wonderful insights about embodied conversations and how we can hold space for each other in conversation through empathy. And this morning, I'm going to ask us to have empathy and to hold compassion for ourselves as we think about the very personal themes of embodiment and body shame. So I'm going to uh, start with the passage and end with the passage and go on a very large detour in the middle. So my apologies up front for that very large detour. I hope it'll be worthwhile. Um, you'll have already heard the passage read this morning, so I'm just going to continue with some reflections. This is an image of The Woman at the Well by Daniel Bonnell. Um, as Joanna mentioned last week, the woman at the well, um, the Samaritan woman, would likely have been experiencing some form of cultural shame. Um, we know this because she's at the well at the time of day when uh, the women wouldn't have gathered. The, the women would have gathered in the morning in the cool of the day to chat and to catch up and to draw water from the well. But she's there at midday in the heat of the sun drawing water and probably not expecting to see anyone, but she actually encounters Jesus. Um, when she arrives. Um, we can kind of surmise what the cultural shame she may have been under is. Um, you know, this, this story has often been read as she's this wanton, promiscuous woman um, uh, who has these inappropriate sexual relationships with men. Um, but I actually think that's a really ungenerous view of her. Um, there are many other ways that her story can be read. For example, um, she could have been divorced by five different men. Um, she could have been married and lost each of five successive husbands. Um, that wouldn't have been uncommon um, in this culture that a woman whose husband died um, would then marry the brother of, of that man. So it's very possible that she's had a series of unfortunate relationships and unfortunate luck. Um, so Nevertheless, um, her relational history would not have been seen as a positive in her culture. Um, and this may have been the reason that she felt um, shame in her culture. And so when she's vis visiting the well, um, you know, alone and not at the usual time, it may be that she's wanting to avoid. It may be that she's wanting to avoid the looks and the comments of the other women. It may be that she just doesn't want to be physically present with them because that causes her to feel shame in some way. And it may be that she even feels shame for occupying space. And I want to suggest that the experience of body shame is literally that shame connected to taking up space in the world. Um, and that's a form of cultural shame that's really prevalent today. Shame researcher uh, Brené Brown writes that shame is the intensely painful feeling or experience of believing that we are flawed and therefore unworthy of love and belonging. So body shame is the experience of shame that comes from believing our bodies are flawed, 
and that our shape, size, or appearance somehow makes us unworthy of love and belonging and taking up space in the world. We all experience shame in life, and some of us may have, have experience with body shame um, or something else um, where we've been made to feel like we didn't measure up. Um, I want you to think about what that experience is like. And if you've ever felt feelings of not wanting to show up or not wanting to socialize and not wanting to be present with other bodies, that seems to be what the Samaritan woman might have been doing. And I really, I really get that. Um, I'm going to share a little bit of my own story today. And um, I will preface this by saying that, that this is not an open wound for me. Um, I have done a lot of work on the issue of body shame and um, I'm comfortable sharing about this with you today. But I also want to say that I'm not going to talk about experiences of deep trauma that make us feel um, unsafe in our bodies. And I'm also not going to talk about the experience of feeling disconnected from um, the gender that was assigned to us at birth. Um, these are not experiences that I've had and not experiences that I would presume to speak about. However, I do think the message of the goodness of, of who we are created by God is for everyone. So I remember the first time I became aware that other women had opinions about my body. And it was a summer of the seventh grade, swimming at the lake with a good friend. And my friend's mom uh, hadn't seen me in a year. And she commented that I'd gained weight. And she told me, though, that I shouldn't worry because when I'd grow up, I'd be like my mom, who had been a professional ballet dancer. And she implied that while my body didn't meet an acceptable standard in that moment, at least the chances were good that it would in the future. From that moment on, I felt painfully embarrassed about my body and wearing a bathing suit. No more swimming, running, and jumping off docks. Instead, I began hiding and closely observing the bodies of the girls and women around me, wondering which bodies met an acceptable standard and which ones did not. The way that we feel about our bodies um, influences how freely we're able to inhabit them and what life-giving experiences we allow ourselves to have. And I really loved ballet. As a child, I loved dancing. And I quit after hearing my teacher comment to my mom about weight that I'd gained. And um, I really, looking back, regret um, not giving let regret giving up the thing that made me feel most alive and in examining these experiences i realized um just how deeply the comments of these older women impacted how i felt about my myself and impacted my confidence at other times in my life i thought i would be worth more if there was quite literally less of me and I lost a lot of weight in university, trying to live up to an impossible and sexist beauty standard, convinced that if I reached it, I would be acceptable and lovable. Later, I lost more weight when I was struggling with major anxiety and panic attacks. And at both of these times when I was so unwell, I was complimented for being thin and healthy. And there's just such an irony there. Um, this is one of the most insidious and dangerous things about and the way society reinforces beauty standards, um, it, because it's so common for women in the early stages of eating disorders to be told how good they look, um, which confirms the disordered behaviors that they're engaging in. And then also um, women in the midst of mental health concerns may lose weight um, and they're told how wonderful they look when they're at their lowest emotionally. So I guess what I want to emphasize is that body size is not indicative of well-being 
and that you can be very unwell in a thin body and healthy in a larger one. It's clear that weight and external appearance are not indicators of whether a person is flourishing internally or not. And it's also clear that the words we speak about our bodies and other women's bodies can have a deep impact on what other women and girls think is valuable. Through careless language, we can participate in a system of oppression and an objectification that teaches women and girls that their value is based on how close to their bodies conform to the images of this world. And I, the other thing I just wanted to note is that when our self-worth is tied to the way that our bodies look, it's a very fragile basis for our self-worth. Um, because for one thing, our bodies constantly are changing and growing um, and aging. Um, over the course of our lifespan, and if our self-worth is improved because we've lost five pounds, what happens when we regain them? Um, and many of us have had shaming experiences concerning our bodies. Um, in fact, I would bet that not one of us um, is exempt. Um, however, I think it's important to look at how God sees our bodies and um, why they're import of importance to God. Um, in Christian history, you know, there's been this deep distrust and of the body and of particularly of women's bodies. And uh, the spirit has been seen as good and holy and the body as base and evil and in particular women's bodies as a source of temptation and sinful impulses. And we saw this belief uh, enacted this week in the horrific killing of um, women in Atlanta by a young man who was a pastor's son who grappled with sexual addiction said he wanted to eliminate temptation, a chilling statement when the temptation was the very bodies of women, primarily Asian women. Um, and in instances like these, we can see how far we are from teaching a healthy view of bodies. And the purity movement has a lot to answer for. It's through this lens that we can see why the Samaritan woman may have been cast as a sexually promiscuous woman rather than a woman who has been perhaps ill-treated by men or simply had a string of bad luck in her relationships. The church, church's history has been fraught uh, when it comes to bodies and the evidence of the problematic view remains when a popular biblical teacher insists that the body is not a friend and, I quote, I should start hating my body in the right way because it tempts me to sin. As I was doing research for this message, I was surprised to find many who agree with this perspective. But what does God really have to say about our bodies? Why do bodies matter? The first note here is that God created, when God created everything, prior to the fall and the curse, God said that it was good and our bodies are included in that pronouncement. Yes, we're broken by the effects of sin, but hating our bodies, masterfully created, expertly knit together in our mother's wombs and fearfully and wonderfully made, um, is surely not the answer. Our bodies weren't designed to be hated, but to be respected and loved um, and to be regarded as sacred, as holy reflections of the beauty and wisdom of God. The incarnation, you know, Jesus, put on flesh, like God put on flesh, became human, walked among us, and not in a handsome, chiseled physique, but in a humble, unremarkable one. Um, he was born, lived, died, and then re was resurrected in a body. The resurrection. <clears throat> the resurrection of Christ and the resurrection of Christians will be physical in nature. The body is to be sanctified and will be resurrected. 
um, we see this profound um, message in scripture that our bodies will will be resurrected, not just our disembodied souls um, or spirits, um, which is a profound, profound thought. Um, these views attest to the primary importance of the physical body to the human person. A Hebraic understanding of personhood. Now, I'm not going to talk too much about this, but just um, according to Old Testament thought, persons do not have bodies, but are bodies, such that all the important theological dimensions of personhood that is soul, spirit, will, conscious, mind, heart, emerge or emanate from our physical beings. That's so interesting. There's these We are holistic and all of these pieces of us are intertwined and we're not one part and another part put together. We're intertwined. And um, there's another quote from Robert Gundry. In the Old Testament, body and soul do not contrast. Man is an animated body rather than an incarnated soul. Um, we're animated bodies, not incarnated souls. That's a fascinating thought. Um, I didn't choose this passage for its gender inclusive language, but rather for its intent. But these um, these concepts around the body and Hebraic understanding of the body really fit well with this concept of embodiment, um, which is that <coughs> excuse me, that was an embodied sneeze. Um, <laughs> embodiment is the experience of being a self in and through our bodies so if you want to take a moment and wiggle your toes take a moment and hold your breath for just a second these actions that your body is taking are just as much you as the thoughts you are having um and this really explains why when we feel badly about our bodies, we often feel badly about our whole selves in the same way that when we feel powerful in our bodies, we feel powerful in our whole selves um, because we're, we're intertwined. We're holistic beings. I think about Anna on the paddleboard last summer and just that powerful photo of her up on the paddleboard. And um, yeah, that's such a beautiful image. And I imagine it made, it made her feel good in all kinds of ways. And it certainly, we all appreciated seeing her doing that. Um, so how do we embrace the experience of being a self in a body? I'd like to suggest some ways that we can combat body shame. And this is for all of us. I know I'm talking about women and I, I will continue to talk about women this morning, but um, this is really for all of us. Um, so God calls us to love him, to love others and to love ourselves. And Anne Lamott writes, to love ourselves is the most radical act of unconditional love we will ever engage in. Um, I think she's right. And um, what might that look like? It might look like self-compassion, which means the capacity to be moved by our own suffering. Um, it might look like changing our internal dialogue, how we speak to ourselves and about ourselves internally. And I just like to say that all of these suggestions um, are processes and you know, can be helped along by therapy and, and friends and um, uh, growth over time. These are not instant fixes um, where we can just say, oh, I'm going to suddenly fully, fully respect myself in all ways. That's a hard thing to do. Um, next piece in combating body shame, respect all bodies. Positive body image will always include respect for other bodies, others' bodies too. Um, you know, we accept a range of heights and eye color. Um, we accept uh, a range 
in so many ways concerning bodies, but often not concerning body size. And I think we need to expand our definition of acceptable bodies to include all bodies. Um, and I mean all bodies. Um, this piece of art uh, hangs at Regent College and it's a portrait of Christ. And the students um, sketched on their panels um, a segment of a classmate's face and then they cobbled them all together into one face as a reflection of Christ in the world. And I think um, it's a really beautiful depiction of how the diversity of our humanity and the diversity of our bodies um, can collectively reflect the face of Jesus in the world. And I think we can remember that when we're looking at our own bodies and we're looking at other people's bodies, um, that they're made by God, made in God's image, and um, uh, that in their very bodies, they reflect Christ in the world. Uh, the last piece I want to suggest is that we need to speak about bodies with care. Um, and I don't want to shame anyone uh, for things they've said about their body or other people's bodies here. That is not the intention. But I do want to challenge us to think about the powerful influence we have on others. Um, you know, we live in a culture that teaches us that our bodies aren't okay in order to sell us products. And we starve and shave and pluck and pierce and adorn our bodies to gain social acceptance. And we even bond socially over our shared body dissatisfaction. And um, this concept is called fat talk. It was named by anthropologist e uh, Mimi Nichter, um, which is we refers to the way that women bond by sharing their stories of body hatred. Um, it's a social ritual to create solidarity. Um, and it's this, uh, it's powerful because it's a way we feel connected to each other, which is a, a deep human need. And so to actually not engage in this is really hard because it means that we might not feel as connected by able to be in solidarity with each other about how we dislike ourselves. Um, I, I don't know if the same concept applies to men. I'm really not sure. Um, but I, I don't know if there's research on that topic. Um, regardless, talking about our bodies in negative ways is um, never helpful. Uh, in her book, Mothers, Daughters, and Body Image, counselor and therapist Hillary McBride explores the way that mothers' thoughts, feelings, and perceptions of their own bodies impact how their daughters feel about theirs. And she cites evidence which suggests that mothers' intentional and unintentional comments about their weight and weight loss are related to a decrease in the value daughters place on their own bodies, um, which is astounding. Um, well, we know that the mother-daughter relationship is particularly significant in shaping how girls and women feel about their bodies. I would say that all women and even all men um, are role models in terms of how they talk about themselves publicly. Um, and uh, yeah, how in particular how they talk about um, their own bodies and the bodies of, of girls and women. Um, McBride writes, if we if what we do affects other people, shaping who they feel they are and what is valuable about them, then for all of us as women, especially for the developing minds we are nurturing, we need to be careful about what we say about our bodies and each other's bodies. And as we come, you know, to hopefully to nearing some sort of resolution around COVID, just want to suggest that how we speak about bodies um, surrounding COVID and quarantine bodies is also important. Um, this is from Kate Bear. 
on her Instagram account, a reminder that if your quarantine body looks different than your usual body, it's okay. If it makes you upset, ask yourself why you feel this way. Most importantly, remember what you say matters to yourself and in front of others. Bad-mouthing your body's changes only reinforces the tired belief that weight is tied to worth. We are so much more than this. I want to bring us back to the story of the woman at the well um, and just say that when the Samaritan woman asks Jesus for living water, he doesn't respond by giving her the water. He responds by naming her source of shame without judgment. And um, he answers all their questions and he reveals to her that he is the Messiah. Um, and then her destiny isn't to continue in isolation, avoiding others anymore. She's healed and transformed in her conversation with Jesus. And, um, you know, shame can silence us. But in, in her experience, as her shame is healed, she finds her voice again. And she goes back to her community. Um, Jesus transforms her by his love into a vessel who can deliver his message of hope and grace and enoughness to his people. And I love this detail that she leaves the, uh, the water jug behind because essentially she has become the vessel who carries the living water to her people. Um, so her shame is healed and she becomes the bearer of blessing to her whole community. And I believe this is what Jesus wants to do in our places of shame, to give us our voices back, to pour his living water into the source of our shame, and to transform us with his love so that we can become vessels who deliver his message of hope and grace and enoughness to his people. I'm just going to conclude with a meditation and you're welcome to engage with this however you would like. Um, if it feels comfortable for you, you're welcome to close your eyes. Take a breath and I'm just gonna read it. It is called, You Are Good, a meditation. You are good. You have always been good right from the beginning. I'm sorry that anyone told you otherwise. This breath, this head, these hands, this love, those feet, that smile, your ears, this heart, this breath, this breath, this breath. Good, all good, so, so good. You are loved, you are so loved. You are lovable. You have been working so hard. I don't have to know how to know it's true. You are precious. You are not a mistake. You are so on purpose. You are not broken. You never were. I'm sorry that you might have thought that. I'm sorry anyone might have made you think that. You are enough. You are so, so enough. You do not have to earn your enoughness. You do not have to grovel for value, for love, for goodness. You already have it. You already have it. You are loved. You are loved. You are love. You are love. You are love. Here are a few reflection questions for the breakout groups. I know this is a very sensitive topic and please feel free to not talk about these if, if this isn't helpful for you. But the questions are, have you lived with the illusion that if you could just change something about yourself, you'd be happy, fulfilled and truly living? How might Jesus be inviting you to view or speak about your body in a new way? 
Is there a place of shame in your life where Jesus wants to pour living water? Thanks so much.